We are glad to have each of you with us for our Bible study through this video platform. We are going through the book of Acts, one chapter each class. Today, we are in chapter 9. I sometimes like to begin with what I call four fast facts. Stephen and Philip are pioneer evangelists equipped by the apostles of Christ to deliver the gospel to people in Jerusalem and Samaria and eventually other places. An early opponent of their work was a man by the name of Saul. Later he became the Apostle Paul. The center of activity continues to be in Jerusalem. So let's let Luke tell us about this man, Saul, who was converted. The first reading will be in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you were persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to a street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, 
the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. That's Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. Verse 1 of Acts 9 is actually not the first mention of this man, Saul. You may recall when we were back in chapter 7, at the execution of Stephen, there was someone assisting. This is Acts 7, 58. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. That's the stoning of Stephen. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. It is clear Saul was a party to all this early opposition to the Lord's work through the apostles. Acts 8 verse 1 says, Saul approved of Stephen's execution. Now here we are in chapter 9, and Luke says he's still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He acted sort of like a bounty hunter, we might say. He went to the high priest. He secured warrants for the arrest and punishment of Christians. His job was to bring them bound to Jerusalem for whatever the authorities decided to do to them. We're going to regard Saul as another unlikely prospect. His state of mind toward Christians is holding them in contempt. In fact, get rid of them. That was his attitude. That was his thinking. He was a bitter opponent of Christ. You may remember Acts 8 and verse 3, Luke said he was ravaging the church. But one day, Saul is headed to Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. This is not his conversion. He isn't a Christian yet, but his attention is certainly arrested to what's happening. He fell to the ground and heard his name being called, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? We will discover as we go through this, not every conversion was exactly like this. Certainly, the conditions of salvation are uniform across all these conversions. But not every circumstance or setting or scene of each conversion is identical. This one is accompanied by considerable drama. You don't see this in every conversion. Here is a man knocked to the ground, and has a conversation with the Lord. He is told to go somewhere to hear the gospel and be baptized. There was no other conversion circumstance exactly like this, yet the conditions of becoming a Christian were the same for Saul as everyone else. He said in response to hearing his name, Who are you, Lord? likely using the term Lord, but not certainly with full knowledge of who this was and what this was about. 
at this point. So Jesus answered, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. And then instructions came peculiar to this case. Go into the city and you will be told what to do. Saul is blind at this point, but is led by the hand into Damascus, three days there, still unable to see, and at the same time, fasting. Meanwhile, the Lord had everything set up with the preacher, Ananias. Notice in verse 13 that Ananias was at first reluctant, knowing Saul as a persecutor. The Lord said, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. Then in Acts chapter 9, listen again. I'm going to read verses 17 through 19. Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit and immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. It is clear to us, reading this text, God had plans for Saul in the future, having to do with taking the gospel to many people. His conversion is marked by that phrase in verse 18, he arose and was baptized. We will encounter this story two other times in Acts in later chapters. Once again, as we observed with Simon and with the Jewish priest, Saul is an unlikely prospect. We're ready to continue now in Acts chapter 9, actually with the latter part of verse 19 and down through verse 22. Acts 9, the latter part of verse 19 and down through verse 22. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. This, of course, is Saul. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And he has not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength, and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Saul, now a Christian, spent some time with the disciples at Damascus. We have made this observation several times already, that Christians were a close-knit group helping each other, assembling together, forming local churches. Saul is now with his new brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, Saul was no stranger to the synagogue system, so that became his initial point of contact and witness. He's proclaiming Jesus. 
and he's saying, this is the Son of God. A few days earlier, he would have denied this and would have arrested those who taught this. But he's now a Christian. The conversion of Saul was not lost, however, on the people. They were amazed, and they said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? So the people are bewildered, but Saul is not deterred. In fact, Luke says he increased all the more in strength, and he confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. So his mind was changed. His life was changed by the gospel of Christ. Now he can't keep silent. He must tell others that Jesus is the Christ. I want you to think about what a change of heart and life Saul had. He has a new understanding of who Jesus is. He has a new reverence for God. He has a new family and a new message. He's an unlikely prospect, now a Christian with a new perspective about the Messiah. I'm going to continue now verse 32 in Acts chapter 9. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he arose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. More miracles through the hands of the apostles. The result of this confirmation of the gospel in verse 35, people turn to the Lord. I'm going to continue at verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise! And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then, calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon the Tanner. Verse 37. 
The story related here is one of the most endearing narratives in the book of Acts. The disciple of Christ, Tabitha, her name translated to Dorcas, Aramaic to Greek. Now, how she is described, full of good works and acts of charity. Here is a good example of individual benevolence that is modeled all over the New Testament. Christians were people who were good to people, helpful, benevolent. When Dorcas became ill and died, everybody thought about this, how good she was. And there was no immediate assumption that an apostle would come and raise her. So they prepared her for burial. They sent for Peter. Peter raised her from the dead. And the purpose is seen. Remember, the purpose of miracles was not to eliminate all illness and death. The purpose was to confirm that the, that the gospel was sent from God and that the apostles were sent from God by Jesus Christ. Indeed, it says, it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. That verse, 42, highlights the purpose of these miracles. And I will mention raising the dead was not a common thing. In three and a half years, Jesus only raised three people from the dead. It was not just to keep people alive, but a sign from God at a critical time that these men who performed these miracles were messengers authentically delivering a message from God. All right, that's Acts chapter 9. Takeaways. Again, I want to make the point about unlikely prospects. I know I've already mentioned this, but it bears being repeated over and over again. Unlikely prospects. We should guard against the automatic assumption that there are certain people who will never believe and obey the gospel. I think sometimes we do that. We look at people and we size them up, and it exhibits prejudice on our part when we draw an immediate conclusion he wouldn't be interested in the gospel. She's never going to become a Christian. That exhibits prejudice. And it may also exhibit that we are not thinking about how powerful the word of God is. There were few men in that area as unlikely as prospects as the Saul of Tarsus was. He became a Christian. We ought to think of every non-Christian we know without automatically ruling them out. It may be hard for us to conceive, but there are people who have maybe a rough exterior, but enough heart and conscience that they will listen to the gospel. And some of those people, by the grace of God, will hear that message, it will strike their hearts, and they'll become obedient. True conversion always results in two things, association with other Christians and telling people about the gospel. 
We are not apostles, but if we are Christians, we want to be with other Christians as best as we can. And we want other people to hear the gospel. That is uniform all through the book of Acts. Think about this. Persecution against Christians is always against Christ. And that comes out in chapter 9, verse 5. Jesus said to Saul, you're persecuting me. So when someone works in opposition to faithful Christians, that opposition is against Jesus Christ. Think of it this way. We are members of the body of Christ. Attacks against us are certainly attacks against him. Consider the contrast in Acts chapter 9. Saul, who became Paul the Apostle, a well-known faithful preacher of the gospel. Dorcas, who was well-known before Luke wrote Acts, but she acted faithfully. She used ability she had, a recipient of the grace of God, just like Paul. Simple, quiet, service to God. No less important than complex, widespread, public service. That's Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And we're coming up on next time, Acts chapter 10. By the way, I had the graphic wrong on that slide there where I had my takeaways. Please don't ask me to do this whole recording again. We have been in Acts chapter 9, and these are the takeaways that we emphasized. Next time, Acts chapter 10. Thank you for listening to these recordings brought to you by the Laurel Heights Church of Christ in McAllen, Texas.